Uh, Today's uh, sermon title is called The Gospel is Everything. You know, when we gather together, there are some stories that we love to repeat. There are some stories that we tell over and over again because we want to make sure that we don't forget and we don't want anyone else to forget as well. Back then, it was called oral tradition, where the most important stories would be repeated so that they would be passed down generation to generation. You see, it's the same for us. We repeat the stories of how we fell in love, of our greatest life lesson, and of our greatest accomplishments, because we want to make sure that they aren't forgotten. For myself, I always make sure to tell one story again and again, and it's because I never want to forget it. It's the story of how I beat the Super Bowl pho challenge at a pho restaurant. It was three and a half large bowls of pho, and I ate it all under 15 minutes, and I was able to take my picture and put it on the wall. Pastor Joe was there, he was a witness, and so you should tell him if you don't believe me. It's a story that I am so proud of, and I will tell my grandchildren as well. Now, all jokes aside, you know, for me, I'm telling you this because chapter 10 is really interesting. And that from chapters 1 through 9, it tells a pretty linear story, story step by step by step. And yet for chapters 10 and 11, it tells a story, but it repeats it. And it's repeated multiple times. And the reason why the stories are repeated again and again is because God here, he is trying to show us the importance of what we're reading. And he wants to make sure that we don't forget. He wants to make sure that we don't skim over it. He wants to make sure that we understand that this is something worth holding on to. And the reason is because there's one clear principle within these stories. And it's that without the gospel, all are destined for hell. And yet with the gospel, all are saved. You see, this essentially means two things. First is that without the gospel, even those who are the very best, Even those who have done such good work, they cannot and will not go to heaven. And secondly is that with the gospel, your mistakes and your past and the worst things that you have done are forgiven and completely accepted by Jesus Christ. It means that God's love for a Christian who has made a lot of mistakes is the same as his love for a Christian who has lived a, quote, more Christian life. And you see, if God's love does not differ between us, then ours shouldn't as well. I'm saying this because, you see, I recently read an article called Why Are So Many Christians Judgmental? And it spoke about a young woman who had left the church for 10 years, Because when she was a teenager, she made a really bad mistake. And as she tried to come back into the church, she felt very judged. And she felt as if she was not accepted. And so therefore, she ended up leaving the church. And as I was reading this article and reading her story, I felt so terrible because for us, if we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior, it means that we are all sinners. And that for us, none of our works, no matter how good they are, are enough to save us. 
It means that we have all fallen short. And that the blood of Jesus covers everyone if we believe in him. And I think for a lot of us, our first response within the church is not that concept, is not that understanding, it's not that conviction. Our first response is to condemn rather than to restore. Our first response is to bring guilt and shame rather than to renew and bring life. And if they're not able to find life within the church, then where are they going to find life? Where are people going to feel accepted? Where are people going to understand the love of God if it's not within the church? They're not going to find it in the world. And so it's been on my heart to, to just share that with us, to, with all of us. That includes myself. Because if God's love, love does not differ between us, maybe if you have been living a more Christian life versus me who has not, then we should not do the same to each other. And so today, what we're going to do is we're just going to look at two points. The first is that without the gospel, we cannot do anything. And the second is that with the gospel, we are completely accepted and loved. Okay, first, without the gospel, we cannot do anything. Verse 1 and 2 says this, At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. When you look at these two verses, what you realize is that Luke is not describing this man's status. He is describing his character. He barely focuses upon Cornelius the centurion, upon Cornelius the leader of troops, a Cornelius the soldier. What he focuses on is Cornelius the man, the devout man of God. What we see here is that Cornelius is devout, is that he feared God, is that he gave generously, and that he prayed continuously. When we read this, we see a man who seems like a very great man, a man who, if he came into our church, would be highly respected, who would want to be a leader within the church. For all intents and purposes, he was a very good man, better than most. And yet, this passage shows us that even though he was a good man, he needed the gospel. Even though he was better than most, he did not know Jesus Christ and therefore was not saved. You see, when it says a man who feared God, that was another way of saying that Cornelius was a man who respected and honored the God of the Jews. It was a typical phrase that was used to describe men who respected the Jewish religion. However, what we also know is that Cornelius did not know Jesus Christ, and he was not saved. We know this because in the next chapter, Peter says in verse 14, he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. See, church, the point is this, that even if you are a good person, you still need the gospel in your life. Cornelius may have been a good person, but he was not born again. And I think that this passage, when I was reading over it, it applies really 
quite directly to the church and to the believers inside of it. And this is how I want to apply it for us. The gospel is meant to not only redeem your bad works, but also to redeem your good works also. You know, we should understand that we should repent for the bad things that we've done in our life. When we sin, when we lie, when we cheat, and when we steal, of course, we need to go before the Lord and pray for forgiveness. However, what this passage is telling us is that we need to not only repent for the bad things, but also for the good things that we've done with the wrong heart. You see, it's the type of good things, it's the type of good works that we think will give us a better standing before God and elevate us above other Christian brothers and sisters. When we do good works with that type of mindset, it is not pleasing to the Lord, it is not biblical, and what that will inevitably lead to is judging others with the wrong heart. And we can see that this is a this is something that many, many Christians within the church deal with. Romans 14.23, it says this, For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. That means bad things are sin. But it also means that good and virtuous things we do are sinful if they are not done in the glory of God out of a love for God. Good things, no matter how good, will not please God without faith. Hebrews 11.6 says this, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Church, God cares more about the heart than the actions. Even with the story of Cain and Abel, God did not accept Abel's offering because it was bigger or more valuable he accepted Cain's offering because it was done out of love for God, while Cain was not. When you even think about it, when you think about it even from a, maybe a parental perspective, if you have a son or a daughter who may want to go off uh, to a football game with their friends, and you say, no, no, you can go to a football game with your friends if you wash the car first. And they say, okay, that's fine, but on the day, they say, no, I don't want to do it anymore. I don't, want to, I don't want to wash the car. You say, no, no, you promised me, so you have to wash the car, and then you can go. And so they, they storm out, and they, they curse under the breath, and, and they go off, and you see them washing the car. Do you think they're doing it out of the right heart? Do you think they're, they're obeying you from the right motive? Or are they simply obeying you so that they can get the reward later? This is the same type of mindset that God is speaking about here. Anyone can do the actions. Anyone can have the end results. But what matters is your heart motive. The gospel is meant to transform all of you. And that includes the bad things that you have done in your life, but that it also includes the good work that was done from a wrong heart. And I know that this can seem a bit disheartening, that our good works can be sinful, but this also means that if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that his blood and his grace are greater than any mistake that you have made. You see, Christianity isn't about what you have done or haven't done. It's about what Jesus Christ has done for you. 
And you see, church, this is my second point, that with the gospel, you are completely loved and completely accepted. In this passage, as we move down to Peter, what we read is that one day passes, and the story is now in the point of the POV of Peter here. And what happens is that Peter, he begins to pray, and all of a sudden he sees this vision of a sheet that falls down with all of these different animals on it. And he hears a voice tell him that he should rise up and eat. But this happens, verse 14 and 15, it says, But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is uncommon or that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. You see, the reason Peter said no to God was because Israel had very strict dietary laws. There were certain animals that Jews could not eat because they were considered unclean. And the reason God had placed these laws in the people's lives were for one very important reason. It was to distinguish Jewish people from non-Jewish people. It was to make sure that Jewish people did not intermingle with non-Jewish people. See, back then was similar to how it is today. They hung out around food. All of their conversations, the way they spoke, everything that they did, it was around food. You know, I know that before COVID, when we would hang out outside after service, everyone is thinking the exact same thing. Are we going to go to Northside or are we going to go to Mosaic? Which one is it? Let's just choose and go and have, have a good time there, right? And the reason why is because we want to talk more, but we want to be able to do it with some coffee. We want to do it with some food. Conversation is so important, but we always center it around food. In the same way, back then people, they would get to know each other through these elaborate banquets, through these feasts, through having dinner together, through having supper together. They would do it all this way. And because God knew that, he gave the Jews very distinct and very specific dietary laws to make sure that they were not able to mix with other nations. In Leviticus 20, 26, God says, the reason you are to follow these diet laws is because, quote, you are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. God had drawn a line and Peter had followed this line all his life. And so when he finally gets this vision to eat these different animals, of course Peter would be hesitant. But God tells Peter again, what God has made clean, do not call common. God had made this food, God had made this food clean through Jesus Christ. What does that mean? You see, what it means is this. Peter was a Christian. However, Peter also believed that following these food laws would make him holy and more chosen. And that meant that those who didn't follow the food laws, like Cornelius, like other Gentiles, was not as holy and was not as chosen as Peter. You see, there was a part of Peter that believed that even though he was saved through the work of Jesus Christ, 
his following of these dietary laws, him making sure that he was only eating certain types of food, set him apart from other Christians. And because of that, he internally believed that maybe he was better than other Christian brothers and sisters. For Peter, this was an internal struggle called legalism. Now, what's legalism? Tim Keller, he says it this way, legalism is looking to something other than Jesus Christ in order to be acceptable and clean before God. It's believing that, look, if I pray enough, that's going to make me more holy. It means that if I give enough, that maybe I'm going to be closer to Lord. It means that if I serve enough, then maybe I'm going to be a better person than that other brother or sister next to me. For Peter, keeping the dietary laws helped him believe that he was more holy than others. Church, all of us have these actions in our lives that we believe will make us more accepted by God. But here's the thing, church. God's love for you has nothing to do with your performance. God's love for you is perfect in this moment right now. He accepts you completely right now. And there is nothing that you can do to separate his love from you. Church, do you believe that? Now, here's a good way to test yourself. When you do something bad, do you feel as if God loves you less? Or when you do something good, do you feel as if God loves you more? When you feel as if God loves you less, what happens is that you forget your identity as a child of God. You forget your worth and who he's bestowed you upon. When you feel as if God loves you more, then what happens is that you begin to judge others with the wrong heart. And if this is you, then I would say that you are in a very similar position to Peter here. Someone who knew the gospel and yet was still trying to gain salvation through their works. But church, within Jesus Whether you have been good or bad, you are 100% loved. Whether you've done good or bad, because of what Jesus Christ has done for you, you are 100% accepted. It means that God, he loves you. And that love doesn't fluctuate like the love of this world, but it stays steady. And it's not based upon how good or bad you've been. It's based on his character. And our God is a God of love. Now, you may be asking, does this mean that doing good works like reading the Bible or or praying or giving doesn't matter? Of course it matters. Of course it matters. Because here's the thing, doing good works may not change your status with God, but it helps you grow in your relationship with God. Look, because of your status through Jesus Christ, Your status as a child of God does not change. However, as you begin to read and pray and obey God, then your experience with him, your understanding of his character, your love for him will all grow exponentially. 
Look, in the same way that nothing you do is going to change your identity as your parent's child, no matter how good you do, no matter how bad you are, no matter the mistakes you have made, and no matter what great things you have done, your identity that you were born with as your parent's child does not change. However, as you talk to them more, as you hang out with them more, as you spend time with them more, what happens is that your relationship with them grows. You see more of their character. You see more of who they are. You're able to talk about their past. You're able to see their vision for the future. You understand them at a deeper level. This is what our good works are able to do. It does not change your status with God. You are a child of his the minute that you accept him as your personal savior and Lord. That status is secure. There is nothing that separates you from the love of God. However, when you read the Bible, when you pray to him, when you obey him deeper, when you go into these things, what happens is that you see him at a whole different level. And that's what we want to encourage you in doing. That's what the church is meant to do, is to show you what, great, what a great life it is to be able to serve him. How good it is to read the Bible, to know more of him to be able to praise him with your hands lifted high because you know how good he's been to you. These things are so good. And yet so many of us are missing that crucial part. And it's our duty, it's our hope, it's our wish to be able to push you in that, to help you to grow in that. That is what good works are able to do. It does not change your positional status with God. It helps you in your relationship with him. You see, church, I just want to end with this application here. You see, a lot of us think that good works will change our status with God. We think that if we do these things that God, he's somehow going to love us more and that our salvation will be more secure. But that's not true. All that does is lead to a false type of Christianity. And it brings our spirit down. And it just encourages us to judge others more. It's a dangerous way of thinking, and it is not biblical. So here is how I want us to begin to think. For Peter, the way that he used this type of good works is that he was following the dietary laws. And so for him, he thought he was more holy and more chosen than others. But for you, it's going to be something different. What is that thing for you? Is it coming to Sunday service? Is it making sure that you are pure before marriage? Is it tithing every month? What are those good works in your life that help you believe that your status with God is changing? It's important for you to understand what those are. Because what that will lead you is into a false type of Christianity. Now, secondly, I want you to think of some of the lines that you have drawn when it comes to other Christian brothers and sisters. For Peter, his line was food. He believed that there's only a certain group of people that he could talk to, that he could meet with, that he could minister to, that he could invest in. And it was the people who would eat the same type of foods that he would eat. 
He believed that he was a different class of Christian. Church, what are some of the lines that you have drawn when it comes to loving other brothers and sisters within this church? The question is, why aren't you investing in them? The question is, why aren't you hanging out with them? Is it their ethnicity? Is it their education? Is it their age? Is it something more inside the personality? What are some of these lines that you have drawn? But church, I want to remind you, as many differences and as many mistakes that we have made, be encouraged because Jesus Christ has died for us and his blood covers all of that. His blood covers every single one of you. And if that's the case, man, I hope that we can end in the same way that verse 23 ends. So we invited them in to be his guests. That we are able to invite others, no matter their background, no matter where they came from, no matter their mistakes or their regrets or who they are, and be able just to love them and care for them. Because the love of Jesus Christ covers that. His blood covers that. And we are all one under him. We may come from different backgrounds and different places, but we are able to sit together and enjoy one another because our foundation, it is not of this world. It is based in our faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray.